Hello and welcome to the RPG Academy Show and Tell. Show and Tell is the show where we bring on a cool guest to talk about something cool that they are working on. And today's cool guest is none other than Tracy Barnett. And the cool thing that we're going to be talking about is their newest game. You are the dungeon. Sounds so uh, ominous as you say. I love a good title. So Tracy, (laughs) thank you for giving that to me. You're very welcome. I am happy to give you and anyone else who loves good titles uh, some some juice to work with. Well, I guess before we really dive in, you you mentioned like giving other people good new titles. Okay, here's the thing: a lot of people know that you are not just an RPG designer. You do a ton of you do a ton of stuff. All right, you you do you do editing, consulting, and everything in between. So go ahead and tell us a little bit who is. Who's Tracy? And then also, what what is Exploding Rogue Studios? Uh, so Tracy, uh, I am a tabletop game designer. Uh, non-binary pronouns are they, them. I make games. I do Kickstarter consulting. I do podcast creation and audio editing. I do project management and admin work. I do a little bit of layout and graphic design. I have basically... Uh, taught myself how to do all of the stuff that you need to do to produce professional games. And then I make projects uh, largely on my own until I reach a project that's big enough where I go, hey, that thing that I can do uh, would be a lot of work or effort or, uh, you know, I wouldn't be able to do it as well as somebody else. And so I then, you know, try and find someone else to help me with that. And Exploding Rogue Studios is a largely uh, hiatus uh, production company. Uh, myself and my creative partner, Brian Patterson, published a, a setting called Carthoon through that imprint. Uh, Carthoon was then subsequently put out into the world by Evil Hat Productions, and we haven't really done much of anything with it since then. I actually contacted Kickstarter uh, just to have it be my own name on there. Okay. Their name change process has... Be- become a lot more convoluted because you know there are people who who uh change their gender markers right and who take a different name when they do that and kickstarter now has you send in like a picture of your id with a verification number that they sent and they're like okay you are who you say you are that's fantastic now send an update to every kickstarter that you've ever run letting them know what's going on and the reason for the name change and i went okay so you I'm just dropping these words from the end of because my, my name on Kickstarter is Tracy Barnett slash Exploding Rogue Studios. I'm just dropping everything after the slash just, you know, because I'm largely doing stuff on my own. And you want me to go back to all of my projects, the first of which was almost a decade ago and post an update and say, hey, by the way, this thing that didn't even exist when I ran your Kickstarter is now changing. Sorry for bothering you. So yeah, yeah, way to make things complicated. Well, and and I emailed, I responded to the tech support team and said, "Hey, is this really necessary for this particular change?" And I never got a response. So I just, whatever, I'm just rolling with it. It's it is what it is. Just roll with it. But you kind of mentioned this, so you kind of so doing your doing your own thing now, and you you talk about this on the Kickstarter page. You are now a full time RPG creator. Mm-hmm. So what what's what's that like? What was that? I, I'm pretty sure isn't that wasn't a wasn't that a recent transition? Like what's that transition been like for you? I mean, it's been it's been a week and a half now. You know. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I 
it's something I've been working toward for for a while. You know, I think it's it's assuming that you like to do the business side of stuff, at least to some extent, it's the kind of thing that a lot of creative people want to do, right? You want to work for yourself. You want uh, production of your own art to be the thing that helps sustain you. And I had been aiming toward that. And then unexpectedly back in November of 2020, actually on actually the end of October on Halloween of 2020, uh, my wife and I found out that she was pregnant. Um, nothing we had planned for, but in the short span of a few hours, we had totally embraced the idea and we were going to move forward with it. And it just made sense to have me stay home because mm-hmm. most of the work that I, in fact, all the work that I do creatively can be done wherever, right? If I have a laptop, as long as I don't need to record audio, I can, I can type wherever I need to type. I can do graphic design wherever I need to do graphic design. And uh, I was working a, a retail job at the time. So uh, an opportunity came up with the One Shot Podcast Network to do admin work for them. I'd already been editing the One Shot Podcast, uh, the actual episodes for that feed since August. And right around the a, a couple months before the due date was when my contract started. So I now work for uh, One Shot. Uh, here at home, um, you know, a set number of hours a week, getting all kinds of stuff done. And then I have that as a base of income and I can then do things like kickstart you are the dungeon to help supplement that income, you know, sell my games on itch and drive through RPG. Uh, so far, like I said, this is a uh, day, what, nine of work days <laughs> that I've been doing yeah. this, but uh, so far so good. You know, it's, it's, it's different, very different to, be setting my own schedule and to have time during the day to do whatever it is I need to do and then not feel pressure in the evening to do work. Like it's not bad if I choose to do work in the evening, but I don't have to. And so I'm spending more time with my wife, hanging out and watching TV, even just whatever, you know, planting stuff in the garden in the evenings. And I don't feel this weird itch to be like, I should, I should be doing something else, you know, something that generate, that could generate money. Uh, cause that sucks. That's a, that's a shitty, pardon me. Can I, on this we, so we, so no it's funny it's funny so we usually i'll, I'll let like two or three slide i'll okay. let two or i'll let two or three slide and then i get to use my over gratuitous bleep all right so okay my fair enough noise. okay well, that, right. then i will i will make sure that the fourth one <laughs> okay. is epic and is really absolutely long. worth the gratuitous bleep <laughs> okay um but anyway it, it's it's a it's a bad place to be when you are sort of bent under the will of capitalism and you Mm -hmm. feel like all of your time needs to go toward revenue generation right i think the idea of as a human of being productive is a good one right like i think that that there's something in us that uh likes to produce right you know we 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 do things i don't i'm avoiding using the word work because work is like the the job equivalent working for someone by and large sucks even working for yourself has a lot of pressures associated with it because you know all of your time gets bent in that direction but producing things is is kind of a natural human impulse you know we we make things as like we're speaking broad terms obviously it's yeah. also it's also great to just sit on your butt and not do anything so finding that balance between 
producing things and finding out how to use them to generate revenue so we can live in the society we are a part of like it's it's a it's an interesting balance to find and it's very different to be finding that in the context of uh not having a day job to wrap everything around right all the all the discipline has to be mine yeah no that's that's awesome that you're able to do that and it's it's always it always makes me uh just happy whenever i see a tabletop rpg person or somebody who's a more of a a creative mindset who is able to to get over that step i'm just i'm just like over here like in the bleach i'm like yeah good for you that's that's awesome like way to go like so that makes me happy that you're able to do that and i guarantee that it's we're it's gonna it's gonna affect your your work and the stuff that you create i think we're gonna see better better stuff yeah i i think that you know, it's well, it's it's interesting that you say that because I don't necessarily I will say different stuff because better okay, different stuff. Well, just and that's just personally like because yeah. better is so subjective. Yeah. Right. You know, better compared to to what? Like um, sometimes I, I mean, a lot of people uh, say this who work in creative stuff, but but constraints are what breed creativity. Right. If you just give someone a blank piece of paper and tell them draw something you get analysis paralysis. People just sort of lock up, right? Uh, Unless they have built pathways in themselves to just summon forth, you know, a thing and make it. So some of the small games that I've written, I've written in a half hour lunch break at work, right? When I have the time pressure of, I only have X number of minutes to sit and do this. So I need to make sure that I get a certain amount done, right? I have this external motivator. So without having that kind of thing that comes from from the constraint of a day job, I'm going to be very interested to see what kinds of things I make because the context within which I'm making them is very, very different than it once was. Yeah, no, for sure. And so now I want to, because you you did mention like creating some smaller games, and that's mm-hmm. what I, I what you are the dungeon is, and it's a it's it's already as we're talking right now, it is on Kickstarter and it is it has been successfully funded. So now you are just shooting for the moon, all right? Yeah. And so what was the for so somebody who hasn't heard of you are the dungeon? Then mm-hmm. what is this? What is this latest game from you? And so what is the elevator pitch for you are the dungeon? Sure. Uh, you are the dungeon is a tarot driven solo or group journaling game where you literally make a dungeon. Um, that's the short version of it. The long version is that you create the starting point of, of the dungeon, this evil, eternal, semi-sentient, ever-growing entity. And you, through seasons of what I call foray and fallow, you invite adventurers into the depths of you. You mangle them beyond recognition. Uh, You let some of them leave, not all of them. And then you grow and expand to let another wave of adventurers come in. The idea behind it is actually based on the marketing concept of the marketing funnel, uh, which is a weird like jumping off point for All right, you're game. gonna need to you're gonna need to enlighten enlighten me because one of my next questions was what inspired you to create sure. this game and so if there's a weird marketing lingo thing gotta hear it all right so the funnel the basic idea is that there are sort of four stages of marketing a thing or yourself and specifically this applies to like yourself as brand which 
gross, yuck, but still, for the purposes of the conversation, that's how we're yeah. going to think about this. The first phase of the funnel is awareness, right? You let people know who you are. You talk about your thing. You generally just try and get people to know what's going on. The second is interest, right? People go from knowing about you to being, oh, that's interesting. What are you doing, right? And the second group of people is smaller than the first group, right? Because you don't get total conversion from the from the outside ring. Uh, the third is uh, sale, right? You someone actually buys the thing that you're that you're making. They they actually make a physical not physical, but they make a monetary transaction, and that's again a smaller group than even interest. And then the last is a, is engagement, and that is when people are so into what you're doing that they are then telling other people about what you're doing. And that loops back to the first ring, right? Because as you get people engaged, they're telling more people and your funnel is growing larger and everything cycles people down into engagement. So that came from a conversation with a friend of mine named Jeff Stormer. We were talking about marketing one night because I was feeling uncertain about how I was approaching stuff and he is a, a marketer by trade. And I was trying to think of a metaphor to sort of exp like to internalize this for myself. And I was like, well, what about a dungeon? So I wrote a Twitter thread that took this marketing funnel and made it a metaphor for being the dungeon, right? Where people hear about this big brooding evil over, you know, five hills away from the village. And they're like, okay, well, we know about it. We should get someone to go and take care of it. Rah, rah, rah. And they get everyone ginned up, right? And that's the interest phase. And then a group of adventurers goes, they're like, the, the 12 of us are going to go do it, right? And they go, and not all of them come back, but those who come back are like, you wouldn't believe what happened. It was horrible. Sir Francis died this way, and I found this gold chalice, but my hand is withered, right? And then more people hear about the dungeon. Yeah. And so as I was writing this marketing thread, and like internalizing this idea, I went, wow, that'd make a really cool game. And so I wrote it. Well, hey, well that's, that's one way of doing it. So if you're considering like the, the way that you're kind of saying it is that the dungeon is a, in this case, we'll just say some sort of brand. Okay. Sure. But the, so in the game itself, is the dungeon, is it, is it sentience? Is the dungeon just, or is it like a meta concept that you're, you as the person playing the game are creating? Yes. Okay, is the answer to your question. You. It's it it is it's por qué no los dos, right? Um, my favorite answers are why not do both things. So okay. I, in the marketing for it, I say semi sentient dungeon, right? Because you as player are embodying the dungeon, right? You're not playing a, a, an adventurer going into the dungeon. You're playing the dungeon itself, and all the language in the game says you, right? Speaking to the player, the dungeon. So. Because of that and because of the the ways in which the dungeon expands, there is a, a sentience implied in it. And then you, the player, are embodying the concept of dungeon. And I think that it works on two different levels, right? Because part of what you do in the game, uh, those of you who are listening will not be able to see this, but I have a print copy here and one of the pages is you're you're literally drawing a dungeon right you're making yeah. the the walls and it's a traditional you know grid map and you're just making a dungeon but you're also conceptually being the dungeon and these events are happening within you and as you expand 
you're making a dungeon that say you're a GM for like a D&D or a Pathfinder game, you can just drop that dungeon right into your game. And there's a history for all the events that have happened. So it's not just, well, there are giant spiders over there and goblins over there and there's a gray ooze down the hall, but you don't know how or why those things ever came to be. If you play through this game a few rounds, you will know how those things came to be. And you'll have yeah. something, it's something more interesting than just, well, here's this random location, players, you know. Yeah, one of my, this is one of my favorite, or I mean, there's so many different genres, but one of my favorite types of genres are, of RPGs are these RPGs that allow you to create something. Mm-hmm. So I just find that those are just super rewarding as somebody who isn't somebody who's like out there writing games or writing books, but to have an RPG where I feel like I've created something that to me is super rewarding personally. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's one of my favorite things to do in games is to have you make something that lasts a little bit right. Um, in my Norse mecha Viking game Ironetta, you create your holdfast. You answer questions to make your starting town. And I really like having player input. And with this game, because wrote it during the pandemic, right? It's hard to get together and play. I wanted something that people could play by themselves and still engage with really creatively. And so the the game is designed to make you think about the implications of what happens, right? The dungeon is portrayed the entire time as this evil, horrible place. And the events are all like all over the place, like random psychedelic type occurrences. Again, just think like classic, really, you know, we're listening to Pink Floyd while we're playing D and D, you know, type, Mm -hmm. type experience. So like, you're wandering through this thing and you have these adventurers that you're that you're sort of subjecting to these fates and one of the categories of events are delights from the ruins and these are all like beautiful potential things like one of them is just a cooling draft of water okay awesome but you have that in the middle of this heinous evil dungeon so like the implications of where the water comes from what that could mean that you drank it like those just start layering themselves on the back of your mind and suddenly a nice clear pool of water becomes horrific. Yeah. And that's my favorite part about about all of this is the entire thing is just bent toward that thematic end of like the oh, it's like Bloodborne and Darkest Dungeon and you know, this roguelike idea except you're not the one who's repeating the cycle, you are the dungeon. So the so when you look at the game itself the how would you say the game gets played out we don't need to dive into like super specific sure but can you walk can you walk us through like what is a game like you sit down to play this game what are the steps to playing this game yeah it's it's really really straightforward uh and and i'll link to you um i've been doing some live streams so i've got vods of those uh where i play with some people on the one shot twitch stream so you can put those in the show notes so people can see what i'm talking about here but it's really straightforward you answer uh four or five questions for the inception of the dungeon, right? Like, how did it start? Was it a castle? It was a latrine in one of the streams, right? Like, what was its original nature? Then who made it? What happened to sort of turn it evil and dark? And then what was the first being to heed the call of its evil? So that's the start. Okay. Uh, then you draw a little bit. Just, a, I mean, like I showed you on the on the map, it's just like a couple rooms in a passageway. Nothing too complex to start off with. You just have the start of the dungeon. 
and then you run through a season of foray. You roll a die to figure out how many adventurers come into the dungeon. You draw tarot cards to determine the dispositions of those adventurers. There's a whole table in there that tells you what each card means. Uh, you name them, and then you roll on the tables to find out their fates, what, what evil, awful things happen to them. You figure out then how many make it out alive. There's a percentage roll that you make. And then that's the end of that uh, arc, the, for the first foray. Then you do a season of fallow where you answer some more questions about what the adventurers left behind, how you corrupted that thing, what new being comes into the dungeon, what changes they made, and what price you extracted from them for those changes. So you then expand the dungeon, right? Um, you know, maybe a troll moves in and digs a pit in one spot, and that's where, that's why the troll is there, and that's where the troll lives now. And then you do another season of foray, more adventurers come in, you just repeat the foray, fallow, foray, fallow, back and forth until the dungeon's as big as you want it to be, or you get bored of the story, or... Okay. Yeah, um, so that's that's the whole... Uh, that's it, that's the game. So I wanted to ask you then, so you mentioned, so the tarot cards, mm -hmm. the... So I see a lot of games now using tarot cards, mm -hmm. but for, for for you, why use tarot cards? You could, can you explain a little bit more about like what are the tarot cards used for in this game? Sure. Uh, so I made a table, uh, and I'll show you here on the, the thing, of 78 adventurers. Right. And their dispositions yep. there. It's in focus now. Yes. So, right. If you if you draw judgment, then your one of your adventurers is an introspective peddler. If you draw the eight of cups, your adventurer is a disillusioned fop. Right. Uh, so it's just a an adjective and a profession, really. And I did tarot cards because I went, well, I want to have a whole lot of potential adventurers. But when you're writing a game like this, it can be challenging to come up with those professions and descriptive words. Tarot cards are hugely evocative, right? You draw yeah. one and you get some imagery, you get the implication of the suit. And so it made it easier for me to write the table and it limited me to 78 options. That was, I mean, when it comes down to it, that's what it was. So, like, if I look at my deck and I draw, let's see, let me just pull one from the middle here. If I draw the tower, right, that is a particular evocative image that I have for the tower. And it made me think about, let's see what I put for the tower, a chaotic swords person, right? The tower usually stands for massive destruction. And yeah. so... I used the implication of the card to come up with what I was going to have on the profession list uh, with the constraint of I wanted this to be kind of like um, if you've ever played Dungeon Crawl Classics and yeah. or heard of it and you know about the level zero funnel where you just get like the gong farmer. Right? Yes. <laughs> you know, you just get this, these ridiculous people who should in no way, shape or form from a traditional heroic D&D standpoint, be going to an evil, awful dungeon. That's who I wanted to be rolling into the dungeon, right? Okay. So you could literally, you could use this uh, this table to figure out who your adventurers for a DCC uh, funnel are going to be, right? If you, if you played through, say, five rounds of Foray and Fallow, and you've got this multi-level, really cool dungeon, and you've you know, connected together all the passageways you've made, then on the sixth... Uh, foray, get a group of friends together and actually play a level zero funnel set in the in the space and make that because adventurers are gonna die. That's what DCC does. Yeah, you know. So um, that's also it's just it's neat to use tarot cards oh, and it, it, it gives me uh, a possibility um, 
down the road of maybe doing something that is uh, specifically for You Are the Dungeon in regards to tarot, right? As like a product. Yeah. Perhaps. And that's, I'm hinting at the campaign uh, when it hits $8,000, I'm going to be announcing the stretch goals. Uh, and so there might be something uh, oh, along those lines to, to discuss. You're so close. You're so close. I am. It, I mean, we. It, it's gotten almost $100 while we've been sitting here and talking. So That's, That is awesome. So, I, I, so I've asked this question before to, to other designers who've came on here and talking about different dungeons. But I wanted to ask you. So to you, Tracy, mm-hmm. yes. what makes a dungeon a dungeon? So I'm going to answer it particularly through the lens of this game okay. and and how... It, it, it's it's going to be a bit of a different answer. So I think that dungeons are spaces uh, for they're spaces for monsters and monstrousness uh, in my world and a lot of other people's views is a uh, a very queer thing to to have you know uh, be around. Like villains in movies for a long time were queer coded, right? If you look at Ursula yeah. and Jafar in the Disney movies. Um, monsters have been embraced uh by queer people to be sort of like the things they are out in the world right and so this is you are the dungeon is not um explicitly a queer experience Mm -hmm. but i'm a queer designer and the it's like the door is wide open right there to for you to portray the the evil space where monstrous things gather um, because adventurers uh, in a D&D mindset come from a very colonial, imperial, colonizing sort of mindset, right? You go into yeah. this old place and you're going to kill all the things in it and you are going to get all the treasure and you're going to come back with glory. Boy, that sounds a whole lot like how people approached, you know, <laughs> everything when they yeah. were uh, uh, heading to the quote unquote new world. And so I wanted to flip that around. Now, I'm a white person. It is difficult if not impossible for me to write an anti-colonialist game because it's sort of baked into culturally who i am as a person and i want to do my my best to help tear that down but it's not a space that i can write to however much like queerness the door is wide open if if someone who is equipped to to do that work took this and and rewrote it a little bit it could be explicitly an anti-colonial thing where the space is designed to trap and maim and eliminate colonizers right to have a protected space that is the dungeon that is viewed as something evil and awful from the outside but is a space for you and yours when you're part of it so uh very long and convoluted answer to your question but that to me right now especially given this game that's what a dungeon is no, it it makes total sense the the way that you've described it, taking your personal experiences and talking about them that way uh, is it's interesting. I've obviously I've, I've never as a as somebody who is non queer, it's it's just it's I've never thought about it that way. Mm-hmm. So, so that's super interesting, and especially because you tell you you don't explicitly you don't explicitly say that it is a queer coded game mm-hmm. like that. So that's interesting. Yeah, it's super I, cool. I'm relatively new to embracing my my identity as a queer person. And so I think that down the road, uh, things that I write will probably be more explicitly queer coded. Um, but I, like I said, I because I, it, it, it takes time to unlearn how you interacted with the world before you, you know, made big personal revelations. 
and it takes time to learn how to uh, properly represent a marginalized community like that. And so I wanted to make sure that I worked to the best of my abilities, but did not try and claim space that I had not earned. Okay. And and that's a that's a me distinction. Like no one told me, hey, don't do this thing, right? I'm just yeah. I'm being careful because I want to be respectful to the people who came before me. Um, because I still look like a cis white dude, right? I've got a lot of privilege in that regard. Mm-hmm. So I'm just approaching it carefully. And so I, I made sure that there was space for queerness and anti-colonial narratives to be present in this game, but it's not explicitly that because I'm not equipped to write those things. That makes sense. I, I also, it is always, it is always nice to hear when, uh, designer has taken their personal experiences and kind of fold them into the games that they're making i just find that the games typically are more nuanced there's there's a little bit mm-hmm. there's a there's just something to it I, you almost like can't put your finger on it like but it's it's there it's something special about them it's it's verisimilitude right it yeah. re- it reads as real it rings true when you mm-hmm. uh when you see that kind of stuff and i think that no one can avoid putting slices of themselves into the things that they write it's like saying that games aren't political everything (laughs) is political you know you just if you feel that way you've likely lived in a bubble where you don't have to be aware of politics and that's a big uh that's a big set of privilege right there um so yeah i i enjoy when games feel authentic right and i think that's one of the big things that this game does really well is i wrote it in a really i mean the gosh if i were to run this past an editor uh, an outside editor for like a professional company, they would change the language of how it's written completely because it's florid and overdone. And just, yeah. I use all kinds of adjectives that don't quite fit the, the meaning of the sentence, but they give implication of tone and theme. And like, there's a, there's a question that you, uh, answer every foray section that says uh what basically what new evil being has taken up residence in your desperate passages like what what's a desperate passage like i i don't know but it sounds really evocative and so yeah exactly and so you're gonna think about that as you're answering these questions because you have these heavy like you know i mean I, i even conan books were not written this floridly like i leaned into it <laughs> okay I, I mean i'm all i'm all about that sort of language so uh the one of the things that i wanted to ask you though is mm-hmm. you uh, you're working on uh the we are the dungeon rules but before mm-hmm. we talk about that is this game is meant to be a solo journaling uh rpg so i've only recently really gotten into solo journaling rpgs but for somebody who hasn't ever tried playing a solo game or journaling game what would you say like hey this is why you want to try this sort of game sure Uh, i think a lot of solo journaling games can have you really dive into like long entries about things you know really like writing paragraphs about what happened and what you experienced i think that there's a good space for that. I've written a couple that have longer entries like that. You are the dungeons questions and spaces to respond are limited, right? There's the, there's the constraint of what can fit on the one, you know, uh, eight and a half by five and a half page. So you can always grab something else and write more, but the game doesn't ask you to, the game just asks you to answer 
questions and do a little bit of drawing on the map, right? Um, to, to give uh, names to the adventurers. I think it invites you to do more than that if you want to, right? You could write whole narratives about what happens to the group of adventurers who comes into the dungeon and what they find and what their fates that they uh, meet with actually mean for them. But you don't have to do that. So okay. it's a, it's a, it's a very it's a very gateway kind of thing. The overhead for playing this is really really low. Uh, almost none of the people that I've had on the stream have actually played it before. You know, I'm doing these promotional streams, and like people have asked, you know, do I need to prep anything ahead of time? I just go, no, you're going to be fine. Just come on in, and I'll I'll explain the game in two minutes, and then we'll play it, and it works really really well. Um, there's not there's not a lot of procedure to learn. It's very straightforward. Um, and I think it's a good bridge to other more uh, procedurally complex uh, journaling games. Nice. So when so that's the so you have the solo aspect of it, but you've kind of on the Kickstarter you talk about we are the dungeon. Then you've mm -hmm. obviously been doing streams with multiple people playing. So how does you are the dungeon? How does it work? with having multiple people at the table. So once COVID, people start getting more comfortable playing in person, vaccinated, we're all, we're all ready to play, or you want to play online with mm -hmm. others. How does that work? So I, I've, I've got that section written in the new version of the game. Uh, and it is the, the heading on the page says, we are the dungeon. And I basically took 250 or so words to say, take turns. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Right. And, and like, <laughs> It's again, it's one of those things that I had uh, not too long after the first version of the game released back in November, uh, I saw a couple of streams where people were playing it together and they did this very naturally, right? They just tossed questions back and forth. They said, oh, well, I, I think that it's this kind of thing that shows up here. Oh, I like that a lot, right? And they're just collaborating back and forth because that's what they do. Again, the implication is very easy. Like, yeah, cool. We'll just take turns doing this. But if you are writing a game that has the overtones that this game has, you can't just take an entire page of your 16-page zine and write, take turns on yeah. it, <laughs> right? So I, I actually had a lot of fun writing the new pages because in the new version, it has the rules for We Are the Dungeon. It has the rules for taking the dungeon and putting it into your own setting and using it as part of a campaign. Um, of doing it in different genres, right? If you want to do like a sci-fi uh, type dungeon or like urban fantasy. And all of all of the things, like the actual core of it is is really simple, right? It's take turns to play together. It's to put this in your own setting. It's put it in your setting and use the stats of the monsters that are in it from like your monster manual or whatever. Um, to do different genres, it's, uh, do different genres, right? <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's not complicated stuff, but I had a lot of fun writing instructions that sort of pull that uh, core out in the really overblown way that this game is written while also having them make sense as instructions because there's a fine line to walk. Yeah, no, no, for sure. You gotta get, gotta get text down there, yeah. but the, uh, yeah, so some I think I said this earlier. I I love those collaborative style games, not just journaling, but when I get to play with a group of people. I mean, some of my favorite games are like uh, Microscope, The Quiet Year, then mm -hmm. Orbital. Like I love the games that you just get to sit around and just answer questions and create with your friends. That's super cool. Yeah, that's exactly what you can do with this. And like, 
so you know you talk about all of the the things um that go into working together with someone like if you give a piece of guidance to someone about uh sitting down at a table and making something together you're going to say you all need to work together you need to collaborate right as the mm-hmm. basic guidance here's how i wrote that for you are the dungeon all of these minds these pestilent creations these rotting corpses of imagination they must work in concert all toward a singular goal like it just it just says work together but yeah. you also uh get the implication these pestilent creations these rotting corpses of imagination like it it layers the tone into your brain while you're uh while you're playing it that's uh, that's fantastic so so let's talk about so the kickstarter mm-hmm. all right we said it's live it's funded it's 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 doing awesome right now. So it, yeah, it's what, rolling along. What is explain a little bit? Uh, what do we got going on with the Kickstarter then? Yeah, so the Kickstarter was I originally had it um, prepped to do uh, for Zine Quest back in February, um, but I have another project going on called uh, Paper Arcade where I have uh, uh, small games made by other creators, and it's an all equity share project, so everyone gets paid the same amount for it. Um, I'm working with uh, a team of all black designers. Uh, we started last June during the protests um, mm-hmm. that were happening in 2020. And um, I've wanted to give them as much space and time and support as they needed to make their games. Cause you know, their lives are, are harder than mine because <laughs> yeah. you know, society is what it is. And so I've really wanted to support them. And so we came to a point where it's like, okay, well I need, I personally, Tracy need to run a Kickstarter before the baby comes because money like that's yeah a, a very blunt way of putting it but it's true um my partner is uh she she's getting three months of parental leave but it's at two-thirds of her salary yeah you know so like we need to make up some income and part of my ethos in running a kickstarter is that i pay myself yeah. so it was either going to be paper arcade um if the games were all going to be done in time or it was going to be you are the dungeon because i already had the kickstarter prepped and i was going to yeah. do paper arcade in uh, just after Black History Month, and then it didn't work out then, and it wasn't going to work out for May. So I'm like, well, I have you or the dungeon. Let's just get it prepped up and, and get that Kickstarter going. So it took the format of the game from 8.5 by 11 to 5.5 by 8.5. Uh, it added, I think, uh, four pages of content, uh, which takes it to an even 16 pages, which means that on a standard 8.5 by 11 piece of paper i can make a 16 page zine with four pieces of paper yep uh a printer and a uh, a laser or a laser jet printer and a stapler so i tweaked the layout uh it looks really clean and really nice uh so you can get the new version for 10 bucks the same price as you know the the game was on itch uh before in its original version uh for 25 bucks with shipping uh that includes shipping in america you can get uh the zine copy you can get a personalized zine copy for 45 uh for a hundred dollars you get all of that stuff and you get to play a session with me of of we are the dungeon that's not a bad that is not a bad deal a hundred dollars no. to have somebody run you a game mm-hmm. like that is that's a steal in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, I limited that to uh, to 10 people just to make sure that logistics uh, yeah. don't overwhelm it because there's going to be a baby in my life in about six and a half weeks, you know? Um, yeah. And then I always like to put in a really weird vanity tier. Uh, that's, yeah. If you're not familiar with the term, that is a tier that costs what looks like a, a, an exorbitant amount of money for most people. 
and gives the backer something really unique. Basically, if you don't give people the opportunity to give you a lot of money, they won't. Yeah. No one might might back at this level. Um, but if someone wants to, now they have the option. So for yeah. $666, you get the Devil's Dungeon, uh, which is you don't get the session with me. You just get the, the two print copies, one customized and one regular. And then you get a tarot reading and a talisman that I have put my intentions into for you. And it's it's ridiculous. It's it's some woo-woo fun stuff. <laughs> and if someone decides to do it, that's absolutely great. And I'm really looking forward uh, to that happening if it does. But uh, yeah, and then I've got uh, stretch goals planned. They are really out there because they involve a lot of art and potentially yeah. physical cards. Um, so they're really high up there. Um, it's possible if if the campaign gets to more eyes and more audiences that it can it can happen um i think it's i guess i think it's an outside chance but it's possible but i i want to put those options where they realistically need to be because i need to satisfy uh my financial responsibilities as a partner and a parent yep. right so that's what the first stretch of this kickstarter is doing mm -hmm. if we get to the goal where i can hire an artist to do art for the cards fantastic um, I still have that base of income and I get to pay someone uh, for beautiful work. And then if we go super ridiculous, we might get physical cards, you know, an actual tarot deck that you can back. But until I know that can happen, because it's a stretch goal, I am not going to make that a tier option. Yeah. Because I do not want to be in the position where I tell someone, Hey, here's an option. And then I can't fulfill it. <laughs> like that's really bad. So, um, it would be helpful to, you know, uh, be able to put higher dollar tiers on there right now and generate interest. Cause that gets the, the ticker going up faster, but I yeah. can't do that in good conscience until I know I can actually fulfill it. No, I mean, that's the safe, that's the safe thing to do. It's the accountable thing to do. Yeah. So we just have to, fingers crossed that we can see those numbers. And... We'll see. I mean, it, we have 25 days to go as of this recording. It is already, let's see, what's the official, the official percentage is of 243% funded. So it's doing really, really well. I'm extremely pleased. Yeah. Uh, it... No matter where this goes, I'm going to be very happy with the outcome. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we'll see. We'll see if it gets there. Um, in what uh six hundred eighty four dollars, I'll be announcing what the stretch goals actually are. Uh, so we'll see. So soon. So a few things about that. I I'm super glad that you went with the smaller size zine format. Like that's that's my personal. I I just like those so mm -hmm. much. It just feels really cool and old school. But then I also wanted to ask you. So we obviously had zine quests. Mm -hmm. I love zines. A lot of people love zines now. Why are zines so popular right now, it feels like? Well, so I I think zines accomplish a few different things. Uh one, it's another it's another set of constraints. Now, Kickstarter has earned some some ire from people for defining very rigidly what a zine is. Okay. Right? It can only be 60 up to 64 pages. It has to be in black and white. It all these little things. Yeah. So if we accept that that stuff is okay, just for the purposes of the conversation, it's a set of constraints, right? You think about making a game and you go, okay, well, it has to fit in these format constraints. So you're like, all right, well, that's, that's cool. And then you think about the kind of stuff that can be in a zine and you think of like 
punk rock and the like the, the zine culture of like the the mid 80s and early 90s and you've got a lot of like inspirational material to draw on the other thing and why part of the reason i did this uh kickstarter this way is kind of like i was outlining with the number of pages this zine is the overhead to actually produce this is super duper low yeah like so low i did all the writing, revising, layout, and design myself on this project. It costs four pieces of paper, two staples, and whatever toner goes onto the page to make each copy. I already have some 6 by 9 bubble mailers. It may be light enough that I can just slap a first-class stamp on there for U.S. shipping. So that means that all told, every single copy of this game that I make costs like... 50 cents 75 cents yeah. less that's wild the the yeah. margins on this are are fantastic and i think that zines are popular and have have been popular remain you know have popular in some circles because they're so darn easy to produce that's the whole yeah. point of them right that's that indie diy thing is that you can just take a bunch of stuff and glue it to papers and photocopy it and staple it and here it's the it's my my zine or my manifesto, or my poetry book, or whatever, or my game, you know, whatever it is. So it's it's much more accessible than what I think Kickstarter has bred in a lot of spaces is this idea that a game needs to be a certain thing, right? Yeah. That if you're doing a Kickstarter, well, you're you've obviously you're paying yourself for your writing. You've obviously hired an editor. You are obviously hiring a layout person. You obviously have at least one other artist, which you probably have two or three just to make sure that budgets and deadlines, oh, you're doing print copies, right? Okay, well then you, you know, you've got to have shipping covered and obviously you're going to be fulfilling those or you're going to get an outside fulfillment company. And suddenly you're looking at a Kickstarter budget of like 25, 30 grand, 35. Like yeah, books are expensive. And logistics for that stuff are wild, especially with the state the USPS is in right now. So I have been transparent about the nature of this Kickstarter, right? Mm -hmm. In theory, if I wanted to have print copies to put out into the world, I didn't even need to do a Kickstarter, right? Mm -hmm. I took the time and laid it out. I could just be selling these on my website. Yeah. Except that Kickstarters are also a marketing engine, Right. People yeah, find sure. out and get engaged, and it it's the nature of the beast. There are a lot of things that are good and bad about that. It happens to work for me right now, so it's the tool that I'm using. Um, yeah, you know, uh, it's. Do I wish that I could just like make these and hand them out to people at conventions? Yeah, that'd be awesome. I'd love that, uh, but I I can't. I have to make money at it, and so I set this Kickstarter up being my, I think, 12th that I've run specifically to help me make money for my life so yeah. that I can live and be a creative person in the world. And this is going to help a lot. No, I mean, I think it's, I think it's, I think it's great. And I'm, I'm glad that you have that mentality and I, I'm seeing more people have that mentality too. It's okay to have that, that low cost to produce product because at the end of the day you're still you still have to account for your time mm -hmm. that you've poured into this and gotta you gotta pay yourself so yeah it's uh i think you know we we're in a very different era of kickstarter than we were 
10 years ago, mm-hmm. right? 10 years ago, I think the the sort of line that they were giving of like, you can now do this with the power of like a collective group of people all coming together and chipping in a little bit and you can meet your goal. And right now there's this expectation that your game is done yes. when you're kickstarting it before, before you kickstart it. Like at least it's all written. Uh, if not, you know, fully finished, you got 50 pieces of art already done. Yeah, for exactly. It, yeah. And there are a lot of things that are assumed about all of this. You have big companies in industry terms who are, running kickstarters even though they have a production budget right they're essentially using it as a pre-order engine and i think that there within all of that there has to be space for creators like me who are saying no literally literally what we're doing here is i have made a thing this thing is very cool here is how i am offering you this thing through this sales engine even though to Technically, you're not buying something when you back a Kickstarter, right? Yeah. And I'm doing this to generate revenue. Like, mm-hmm. that has to be okay given the constraints of the society that we live in. Like, I wish it were not so. However, because it is, it's, it's don't hate the player, hate the game, right? <laughs> I'm, I have to, to operate within these rules. So I'm going to make them work for me the best I possibly can. And I'm going to help other people do the same. That's part of why I do a consultation on Kickstarters is because there's a lot of working parts and a lot of, or a lot of moving pieces uh, that you can have to engage with when you do this. And I yeah. want people to do it successfully so they also can live their lives. Yeah. No, I, I, I'm really glad and thankful that you've, you've shared this insight because i do hope that uh sm- smaller rpg creators in indie studios continue to reclaim that space because i love zine games i love these smaller games it's like popcorn for me it's something i can just grab real quick like you said it's a real low overhead to get into mm-hmm. i can read an rpg put it on the shelf whatever I'm, i don't feel like i've sunk a ton of time a ton of money into it and i feel fulfilled so i love that niche yeah that's that's great and i i am hopeful that like my long-term goal is a cycle where say i make a game like this and i've been making a lot of a lot of small games i'm gonna release uh another small game oh probably next week uh to coincide it's another marketing promotional thing like i'm gonna give a free copy to everyone who backed the kickstarter yeah and then that gets numbers on my itch page and it's all there's all kinds of algorithmic things that it's just a good idea to do so i'm doing it um but i have plans for other ur games that like occupy different niches and by the time you've played the fourth one you've made maybe a campaign setting right ah. uh-huh um but the other thing is that so i've got this you know, potentially in a few months time, I can release the next one on itch and sell a few copies and generate some interest. And then I can run a Kickstarter for that zine version and fulfill it the same way that I'm, that I'm doing this. And, and every Kickstarter I can, I can tell everyone in the final update, like, Hey, by the way, if you like what I'm doing here, head to my Patreon. Cause if you give me any amount of money you want a month, it's a pay what you can system you get every small game I release, including the stuff that goes to Kickstarter. How about that? Oh, that's cool. Right? But but again, it's it's a marketing funnel, right? Yep. Kickstarter's the big. Get some people funneled down to patrons because that's reliable, steady income. 
And two, three, maybe four times a year, depending on what my life looks like, I might be able to do a small zine that gets me a few grand and funnels a few more people to the Patreon. So I don't have to worry about getting that grand, right? Maybe suddenly I'm getting $500 a month from Patreon. Yeah. So I've, I've got, I've got plans and I've got a, a system that I hope will work out. It's just, you know, nine days into doing this full time now, it's a, it's a lot of moving things to juggle because there's always something that I could be putting time or energy into. Yeah. And right now this Kickstarter is taking up, I've refreshed the page probably a dozen times since we've been sitting here talking to each other. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, yeah, I, I, with, with us, with our Catacon Kickstarter, we, so mm-hmm. I, I, I'm familiar with the, I'm familiar with the urge to hit that little circle button with the arrow. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah my F5 key is going to be worn yes. out by the time yeah. I'm done. That's fantastic. Well, everyone who's listening, definitely go check out You're the Dungeon on Kickstarter right now. We will include everything in our show notes. We'll include some some links to some of the actual plays so you can check them out. And then also all of Tracy's info so you can go find what they're doing. Uh, and then uh, other than other than that, Tracy, thank you so much. Like I, I've gotten, we've learned about You're the Dungeon, but you've given us a real cool insight to the creative process and some of the behind the scenes Kickstarter and RPG design uh, workings. So uh, that's, that's awesome. So appreciate that. Uh, thank you very much. I'm, I'm very happy uh, to have been on today. I'm happy to talk about this stuff. I, I love talking about what I do. Um, so yeah, thanks. Thanks very much for having me. I appreciate it. No problem. Real quick before we get out of here, uh, drop some social media plugs. Where can people find you uh, if they want to know more about yourself or what you're doing? Uh, you can find me online anywhere as The Other Tracy. That's T-R-A-C-Y. It's all one word. That's me on Twitter. That is my website. Uh, that is my Patreon, patreon.com slash The Other Tracy. Uh, you can find me everywhere using that. Uh, if you want to check out You Are the Dungeon, uh, you can type that into uh, any search engine, put Kickstarter on the end, you'll find it. You can go to youarethedungeon.com. I snagged the domain. Oh, that's uh, awesome. Yeah. And um, if you head to uh, YouTube and look up One Shot RPG, you can check out the, the VODs of all of the live streams that I've been doing and see what You Are the Dungeon is all about fantastic so definitely go check that out folks as always this is tom you can follow me at bezcar tom on twitter and do not forget as always like we like to close things out if you're having fun you're doing it right thanks for listening to the rpg academy podcast we do this show out of love for the hobby and the desire to be ambassadors welcoming more people into this community all of our website content will always be free to use and utilize but there are expenses related to the show. And if you enjoy what we do here, then please consider supporting us in some way. You can do so as simply as rating or reviewing us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. If you're going to purchase anything through Amazon or RPG, consider using our affiliate links first, and then we'll get a small percentage sent back to us. You can do a single direct donation through PayPal using the paypal.me slash the RPG Academy. Or consider joining our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash the RPG Academy. And for a donation as low as $1 a month, you'll get access to lots of extra goodies, including bonus minisodes, invites to monthly one-shot games, one-sheet adventures, and more. Please consider following us on Twitter and Facebook, or join our Discord, where we like to try to keep the conversation going with our fans as best we can. 
and are always looking to talk and chat more. Or do none of that. Just continue to listen and enjoy our show. Because honestly, that's enough. Thanks. And remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. We'll see you next time. The music used for our intro and outro is Fly a Kite by Spectacular Sound Productions, used under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike License.